I'm Donald Wayne, and this is Trice Talk Minipod for Tuesday, the pre-dawn edition. Well, you know, because it's, um, it's a little bit before one o'clock. It's a little earlier than some that I've done here in, in recent weeks. But um, anyway, um, I appreciate you joining me for another episode of Minipod. This is March the 30th, by the way. Uh, we're almost finished with another month. Golly, summer's going to be here before we know it. Um, if you, um, I, I know if you've been listening to the Minipod series, you, you have heard me talk an awful lot about the HR1 bill passed by the House on March the 3rd. In fact, I dedicated, I think, uh, one Minipod to it uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, but I, I I limited it to just a, a few items of the HR1 bill. I didn't really go through a lot of them because I didn't have a lot of uh, details available at that time. Although, if you know, anybody could, they could go in there and read the bill. Uh, it's online, uh, but it's so massive. It's just kind of like you need a map to get to the important parts that may have some effect on your life. But um and I've also talked about the Georgia voting law, which uh, actually uh, heard Governor Kemp today on the radio. He's being interviewed by Eric Erickson. Um, I believe it was Eric Erickson. Yes, I think so. And he talked a little bit about the misconceptions of the uh, new voting bill passed by Georgia and uh, was somewhat disappointed in in. Joe Biden's response to it and so forth and the media in general. And really um, that's something we have talked about also in another mini pod series, but uh, and I'm not going to go back into that tonight, but I will be talking about that some more now that some of the networks and some of the media people are having to admit, well, maybe we just stretched this a little bit too much. Maybe we made it seem a little bit more, uh, racial than it actually was. So, um, but this, all this voting, all these voting issues right now are so important to this country because HR one bill, if that thing passes the Senate, which, you know, it's, 
it's in a dangerous place because, um, you know, the Senate could very well pass it. Uh, just depends on how they treat the filibuster rule. But, um, if you'll, if you'll just hang in with me a little bit longer, a few more, maybe another week or so, uh, until some movement happens with this HR one bill, um, I'll try to get you, I'm trying to give you information in case you haven't really had all these things outlined for you. Um, it's just these voting issues are too, too important to conservatives right now for us not to talk about them as much as we need to. And, and, and once maybe tonight, after I've talked to you about, uh, these, these particular, uh, items that I'm going to talk about, I'm hoping that uh, if you have some kind of rapport, in other words, if you've communicated with your um, representative in your state or your uh, senator in your state, uh, that you will do so again and let them know your feelings about this. Although the House has already passed it, it still wouldn't hurt for you to let your uh, representative know how you feel about these things that they passed. But certainly uh, contact your senators and tell them how you feel about, you know, uh, whether or not they're going to support these things. But um, if you really pay attention to the HR1 bill, you know, Democrats are saying that these things are necessary to make sure that everybody that has, everybody in this country has a right to vote that or everybody that's legal has a right to vote and every vote should count and be heard. And that's, that's what they're pushing with this bill. But basically if you really look at some of these things that they're trying to put in or, or the things that they have put in there, you'll see that they're, they're really more of an attempt uh, in my opinion. And a lot of people uh, that have, podcast or talk shows that are conservatives will tell you that really it's, it's more about power and trying to ensure that they have a better chance of staying in power a long time, maybe, uh, indefinitely if, um, depending on how things go. So anyway, I'm going to go through these things. Um, um, I guess last time I did, I think there was 10 highlighted items, but this time I'm going to use a column that I just read today. Uh, and it's in the latest edition of Epic times by, uh, um, here's another one of these names that I'll have to try to pronounce properly or get close is Masuma Hawk, I believe, or Hake. I'm not sure. I apologize. However, I butchered that. But anyway, it's in the Epic Times. And I want to make you aware that a number of these items, which I, uh, the bill is now lingering in the Senate, it's just, you know, we, we may have a chance to defeat this thing. So if you hear some things that I'm going to cover here that are disturbing to you, again, I encourage you to contact your representatives in your state to um, let them know how you feel. Now, there's 30 items. I know that sounds like a lot, but I'm going to try to go through these as quickly as I can. I'll try to do my speed reading, but still give it enough attention. And some of these I will stop and comment on. Uh, some to me are a little bit more concerning than others. But um, so anyway, we'll uh, 
we'll get started that. And I think uh, last time I did a little uh, background music with uh, <laughs> with this, and I didn't really hear back from anybody about whether it's something that worked. But let me let me see if I can um, try a little bit to add in there, just so uh, in those moments. <laughs> in those moments i'm not even i don't think i've previewed this one yet but that one might put me to sleep let me see how about a little bit of fresh air i don't know that one's not doing anything okay that's fresh air all right <laughs> um Item one gives the federal government authority to administer elections. The federal government has the authority to administer elections. Although the U.S. Constitution gives states the authority to run their elections as they see fit, Democrats haven't interpreted the Constitution in their favor, stating in H.R. 1 that Congress finds that it has broad authority to regulate the time, place, and manner of congressional elections under the elections clause of the Constitution. Item two limits a plaintiff's access to federal courts when challenging HR1. So these people are already concerned about challenges to HR1 bill. So they put in a section here that covers that, which this item says, the bill mandates that any lawsuits challenging the constitutionality of H.R. 1 could only be filed in the district court for the District of Columbia, and all plaintiffs would be required to file joint papers or be represented by a single attorney at oral arguments. And basically by saying that you have to, and I'm not a lawyer by any means, um, but they're saying if, if you, know, you have an objection to anything in this bill, that, uh, or if you want to sue based on issues in this bill, you'd have to do it through the District Court of Columbia. Well, I got news for you folks. Uh, you're probably going to be a conservative or a Republican if you're uh, uh, challenging it with a lawsuit, and you're not going to have a whole lot of luck in the District of Columbia. But, um, Anyway, so that's item two. Item three mandates automatic voter registration AVR in all 50 states. Now, 19 states currently already have an AVR, automatic voter registration. Georgia is one of those states. Uh, when you go and apply for a driver's license in Georgia, it, um, it automatically sends your name to voter registration and they contact you about that. Um, in what proponents call modernizing elections, any person who gives their information to designated government agencies, which again is the um, Driver's License Bureau here in Georgia, such as the Department of Motor Vehicles, a public university, or a social service agency would be registered to vote. The bill mandates same day and online registration as well. Same day in the fact that uh, you can actually register to vote on election day.
Item four, mandates no-fault absentee ballots. They're really pushing absentee ballots. Anyway, this provision does away with witness signature or notarization requirements for absentee ballots. Additionally, it would force states to accept absentee ballots received up to 10 days after election day. Now, that's one of the craziest things for me. I mean, um, I know in in some of the elections that were uh, had problems in the past, there were some that maybe went a day or two beyond. And of course, we had the famous hanging Chad issue back in 2000. But to, to force states to accept absentee ballots 10 days after the election day just creates an issue where, um, you know, we're not going to know who wins elections anymore until sometimes maybe like we did in this last election uh, for a, a week or so after the election. And the fact that uh, they're going to accept these absentee ballots without any um notarization or witness signature means a lot of those are, are can be in question item five prevents election officials from removing ineligible voters from registries or confirming the eligibility and qualifications of voters well how convenient that is uh, we had a lot of problems here in georgia um last in in, in 2020 uh, there were some issues with uh, officials trying to clean up voter rolls and confirm that, uh, you know, everyone on these voter rolls were still alive for number one or still living in the state to where they were eligible to vote. Um, of course, a lot of that was contested uh, and there was a famous, uh, famous issue uh, a little bit south of uh, Atlanta and I won't go into that now, but I mean, there was all kinds of issues with, with the voter rolls here in Georgia. And, but this bill would make it illegal to verify the address of registered voters, cross-checking voter registration list to find individuals registered in multiple states, which that has happened, or ever removing registrants, no matter how much time has lapsed. Now there, there was a, a ruling or a law in Georgia for a number of years that if you did not vote in a number of elections, then you would be taken off the voter rolls. Um, I don't know if that was done thinking that if a person hasn't voted, maybe they have died or moved away or whatever. But still, if you did not reg- if you did not vote in an election for, I, I, I want to say it was like four years, but it could have been longer, uh, then you were automatically taken off the roll and you'd have to re-register. Uh, item six restores the voting rights act this provision requires states to obtain approval from the federal government before implementing any changes to voting rules which may be one of the reasons that georgia uh, jumped in there and got their changes done before hr1 has a chance to get passed by the senate if it does there is also a provision that criminalizes the hindering, interfering, or preventing of anyone from registering or voting, which I don't know on the surface, I have a problem with that part of that item because, you know, no one should be prevented from registering to vote if they're legally um, eligible to vote. 
And I know that goes back to the days when there were issues with um, people trying to keep uh, some people from voting. Item seven, ban state voter ID laws. Well, Georgia just had theirs they're put in in the new revision here. So um, hopefully that'll be able to stand. Although I, I guess this law could um, could override that. But anyway, states would no longer be allowed to require ID for voting and would be forced to accept signed statements from individuals claiming to verify who they say they are. Well, we know people never cheat. We know people never lie on documents like that. So, you know, it's amazing. This is one of those things that gets batted around a lot. I don't understand for the life of me why there would be an objection uh, to require people to provide identification in order to be able to vote. I mean, it's been said many a time uh, by conservatives and Republicans mainly that you have to show identification to do so many things in, in your life. You have to show identification at a pharmacy in order to buy certain drugs, uh, unless it's a prescription that you're picking up. Uh, well, even then, unless they know you, they can require you to show ID. Um, you have to show ID to buy cigarettes in this country or alcohol in this country. Um, you have to show ID, I think, when you buy plane tickets. Uh, of course, I haven't bought one in a long time, but I, that's just one of the articles I think I've read. There's just so many things that you have to to be able to prove who you are when you do the certain things. Yet one of, the, one of the most important rights that we have in this country, and they don't think it's right for us to require people to show and prove who they are. Uh, their main objection has always been that that ruling seems to um, affect uh, minorities more than any was anyone else, and especially black voters. That's been their issue. And, you know, we don't have time to go into that here, but maybe I'll, I'll address that on our mini pod. But uh, that argument really doesn't hold water. Now, there may be some people that have difficulty getting IDs, but in Georgia, you know, and you can get an identification card from the, issued from the state and it's free. Um, and I'm not sure what the process is to get it. You may have to get down to a driver's license bureau or something in order to be able to uh, get your picture ID made. But I'm sure there may be exceptions to that as well. But anyway, you can get a free ID in this state. So there's no reason that over 95% of the people can't get IDs that want IDs in this state. All right, item eight, ensures illegal immigrants can vote. Now, on the surface, when you read that, is that's kind of infuriating in itself, but the bill shields non-citizens from prosecution if they are registered to vote automatically. Agencies wouldn't be required to keep records of those who decline to affirm their citizenship. Um, with this automatic registration, you know, in, in Georgia and what they want to do across the country, if you're automatically, uh, registered vote, if you go get a driver's license or in some states, there may be other, other functions that, uh, will allow you to get, 
register to vote. So say you're an illegal illegal alien. Uh, I'm still going to use that word because uh, this immigrant thing, that's another issue for another show. You know, you can still get a driver's license and uh, you can still get papers and that allows you or uh, and they're, they're falsified papers, I might add and allow you to register for certain things and get certain things in this country. So they could take some of that illegal um, identification or paperwork and go down and get a driver's license in the state. Well, they get a driver's license and they're automatically registered to vote. Well, so if this law says if they go vote because they're automatically registered to vote, even though they're not legally, uh, um, they're not legally able to vote, they can't be prosecuted if it's found out later on that they were not legally able to vote. So it's it's in there to protect them because they're they're putting the blame on the state for sending them um, uh, voter ID or voter registration. So that's kind of confusing, but uh, it it really doesn't belong in there because that's really taking all of the. Um, you know, because they couldn't get ident- they couldn't get proper identification if if they didn't have uh, the right documents in order to do so. Item nine allows same day voter registration. States would be required to permit same day registration, including for early voting, at polling stations. The section includes a clause that requires same-day voter registration to be implemented in time for the upcoming elections in 2022. Now, that right there tells you that, you know, they're so excited about the results of 2020's elections and how all of this, uh, the coronavirus affected, you know, what they were allowed to do with the ballot boxes and all this extended voting time that, that they got uh, uh, approved that they want to make sure all of this crap is in place before the 2020, uh, 2022 elections. So that tells you right there, uh, a good part of their motive for, for doing this entire bill is to try to help shore up their, uh, power in the 2022 elections. Item 10 allows 16-year-olds to register to vote. Well, there we go. From January 1st, 2022, states wouldn't be allowed to refuse a voting application from anyone age 16 or older. Additionally, states would be required to carry out a plan to increase the involvement of individuals under 18 years of age in public election activities. you know, so here we are, we're, we're a student in high school. We're just trying to get out of high school with good grades so we can go on to college or go on to uh, whatever other pursuits that we have. And now we're going to inject more politics into these schools by, by, um, putting this on, on 16 year olds. Now, you know, maybe some 16 year olds are more aware today than uh, my generation was about politics or even cared. But it also, in my mind, I think back to all of the uh, articles that I've read in recent times about the uh, all of these programs that liberals are introducing into public schools and trying to convince, you know, 
students that America from the beginning uh, was full of racist and, and white supremacist ideas. And uh, it was a bad country. And so you're teaching that to these kids in school. And so by the time they get to 16, well, you want to make sure that they can vote. I mean, come on. Um, well, all right. Are we going to allow them to, to purchase firearms? I mean, if, if you can vote, can you purchase firearms? Can you go ahead and start buying alcohol? I mean, if you have the mental capacity and you're mature enough to figure out who you should be voting for or who would be a good person to be voting for, well, why can't you do these other things? But I doubt very seriously if any of those other things are going to be on their list. But yet we're going to give them the right to do one of the most important things that they can do in this country as a citizen of this country, and that's vote. Item 11 prohibits the publication, get this, of misleading information about elections. The bill makes it a federal crime to communicate or cause to be communicated information that is knowingly false and designed to discourage voting, carrying a sentence of up to five years. Opponents say the provision raises First Amendment concerns. Opponents, I'm sorry. Opponents say that the provision raises First Amendment concerns. Um, you know, that's not surprising that they would have something like, like that in here, considering, you know, all of the, <laughs> all of the, um, the attempts last year to silence conservatives and Republicans and then, of course, uh, President Trump. Um, or anybody that um, was very public and supported him. So this, this doesn't surprise me at all, but hopefully that can be challenged if this stupid bill passes. Hopefully that is one thing that can be challenged because they're basically saying anybody could make an accusation that what you're saying is misleading information. Um, and, and of course, the problem I would think would be in, in proving that you that you knew that it was false information. I think that may be a, a problem in court, but still, just the fact that they even want that law. Item 12 allows felons to vote. Under the Democracy Restoration Act, federal dollars for prisons would be restricted in states that, that don't allow ex-convicts to vote. The bill says that all felons can vote unless they are serving a felony sentence in a correctional institution or facility at the time of the election. I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I mean, I, I think probably there's so many people that go to prison for, for things that they probably shouldn't have gone to prison for. Um, there, that should be something that could be discussed, but I think there should be restrictions on it. I think there should be certain classifications, but then then people argue that, you know, if you if you um, do your time for whatever crime that you committed, um, you know, part of your rehabilitation should be the ability to be able to vote. So, you know, I would be interested in discussions about that. But I think across the board, carte blanche, I, I don't know that I could support that. Item 13 mandates early voting. Well, we knew that was coming. States would be required to allow anyone to cast a ballot during an early voting period prior to the date of the election. Uh, that'll probably vary by state. Uh, Georgia just put in the bill that they passed uh, 
they did include some early voting in there. Um, so, you know, maybe that was their attempt to, to be ahead of the, the game. Item 14 legalizes nationwide mail-in voting without photo ID. Um, Georgia doesn't allow that. That was included in their bill that they require a photo ID, photo ID even with mail-in voting. Absentee voting by mail would be allowed in all federal elections and may not require an individual to provide any form of identification as a condition of obtaining an absentee ballot. A witness signature wouldn't be required. So again, they're trying to make it real easy for uh, you know for people to vote that aren't legally qualified to vote or able to vote or should vote. Item 15 promotes ballot harvesting. Well, any designated person would be allowed to return absentee ballots to any ballot drop-off location or election office so long as the person doesn't receive compensation based on the number of ballots he or she collected. Additionally, there would be no limit on the number of absentee ballots any designated person could return. So I, I'm reading between the lines there, and I'm, it, it says uh, so long they they can't be compensated as long as um, you know based on the uh, number of ballots that they're picking up. But it doesn't say they can't be compensated. But why in the world, and 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 something as as critical as as voting ballots, are you going to let unofficial people? pick these things up at these uh, drop-off locations and basically harvest them and and bring them in to another location to be counted. I mean, seriously, uh, do you not think that there's room for some hanky-panky there? I mean, I, I, I don't care what they say or who they say can be certified, but you have no idea who's picking these things up and delivering them. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make any sense at all. Also, in my mind, I can see where it can encourage uh, corruption in those ballots. Because how do you know these people that are harvesting aren't someone that's going out and going to areas of town and... I can't even say it any other way. Strong-arming people to vote a certain way and then collecting them as they go. I mean, there's all kinds of issues by this. By uh, you know, once you take the ballot away from the kinds of voting that we've been doing for years, uh, with some minimal absentee ballots, which had to be justified, uh, there's so many things that can go wrong and went wrong last year. Although nobody on the left is going to admit that there was anything out of the ordinary there. Item 16 requires states to accept ballots 10 days after election day. States would be required to accept any mailed ballots postmarked before or on election day that arrive within 10 days of the election. The bill allows states to expand that deadline. So in other words, some states, if they're Democrat controlled like California or New York, uh, they could they could make that they could extend that deadline even further if they wanted to. Item 17, prohibit state election officials from campaigning in federal elections. 
State election officials would be banned from participating in political management or campaigns or any election in which they, uh, the officials have supervisory authority. This would be, would affect states like Georgia, whose secretaries of state have been notably involved in elections. Um, I'm not really sure that, um, to, to what degree they're talking about there, but uh, they, they seem to target Georgia on that. Item 18 requires colleges and universities to hire, hire campus vote coordinators. The bill requires institutions of higher learning to employ an official who would be responsible for informing students about elections and encouraging, encouraging them to register to vote. It would incentivize voter registration by giving grants to institutions that have a high registration rate. So in other words, they're going to give money to to colleges and universities that will do what they want them to do, which is have people on campus that are there solely to uh, talk to people and, and one try to get them registered to vote and then encouraging them to vote. and. Since we've had so many stories that our universities and colleges in this country, uh, so many of them are, are infested with uh, l- extreme left-leaning liberals, and and to some extent, even uh, you know, people who believe in in uh, socialism, socialist, if you will. So these are people we're going to incentivize to go out there and get young people in college to vote and and give them advice about who to vote for yeah you know you have to think about this and and even the one about the 16 year olds and you can't help but wonder would democrats be doing this if they didn't have some confidence that they have the corner they've cornered the market in education in this country um, because conservatives and Republicans for far too long have just turned their back on what's going on in these universities and these colleges and even in the schools and the curriculum and in our public schools. And so I don't think the Democrats would be so comfortable having these things be in this bill if they didn't feel like that they had a pretty good uh, corner on the market um, on these votes. Mandates that states make absentee voter boxes available for 45 days within an election. Drop boxes would be made available for individuals to drop off absentee ballots for federal elections at any time, 24 hours a day during the voting period. Now, Georgia addressed that in their recent bill and, um, course people are upset with the whole bill here in Georgia uh, liberals Democrats are but uh, Georgia mandates there has to be one box for every uh, 100,000 voters registered voters in in the county and of course uh, Democrats are upset because they're saying that's not enough in some of the counties and that's going to make it inconvenient for some of their voters in these Democrat controlled counties. So, but there is a provision in there, you know, based on population. So they could have more than one 
voter uh, voter drop-off box. But I believe they're trying to restrict them to areas that can be secured, like fire stations, police stations, or local government offices where there's you know, some surveillance there that can monitor uh, people have access to the voter, uh, uh, to the drop-off boxes. Uh, item 20, require states to allow curbside voting. Now, what the hell is that? States may not prohibit any jurisdiction administrating an election for federal office in the state from utilizing curbside voting as a method by which individuals may cast ballots in the election. I mean, can you... I'm, I'm surprised that we don't have something in there that says, well, you know, we have to, we have to actually go to everybody's residence in this country and, and let them vote in their home without ever leaving, which in essence, you know, that's what mail-in voting can do. But this curbside voting, are you serious? I mean, so you have the, 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 the absentee ballots, you have the mail-in ballot, but you still want curbside voting. So somebody doesn't have to get out of the car. And I realize there are some handicapped people that might might be beneficial too, but why can't they use the, uh, the mail-in voting? So curbside voting. All right, way to go Democrats. Item 21, urges statehood for the District of Columbia and representation for territories. The bill points to the fact that the District of Columbia is not yet a state, adding the United States is the only democratic country that denies both voting representation in the national legislature and local self-government to the residents of its nation's capital. It appoints a commission that would advocate for congressional representation and presidential votes. Uh, we've talked about that on other Trice Talk, and I may have even talked about it on a mini pod, but... There's reasons why District of Columbia is set up the way that it was. And I talked about this a little bit, uh, I believe the other night, maybe a couple of nights ago, but you know, there are people that say, if that's an issue, then just let uh, the portion of the district that would actually become a state, make it, you know, join back um, or be, given back to the state of Maryland and uh, that would solve the problem then the the citizens that would normally be part of this new state would actually just go back and become citizens of Maryland but you know what the Democrats don't want that because the whole purpose of this thing I, I understand the voter res, uh, representation I don't have a problem with that I think people living there should have a vote but uh, you also have to read uh, the history behind all that to understand how it got that way and why it's such a sticky issue to, to resolve. But rather than make a state that doesn't make sense, no bigger than the, I mean, we're talking about a state that basically is nothing but a city. Make it become part of Maryland, give it back to Maryland so they could do all their voting and their represent, representation would be going through Maryland and they would be uh, residents of the state of Maryland. But, you know, they don't want that because they want those two extra Senate seats, which basically will forever be Democrat because Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia will never, ever probably 
uh, have a chance of becoming Republican. Item 22 requires states to redraw congressional districts through independent commissions. Taking the power away from state legislators, the bill would require redistricting through, let's see, require redistricting to occur through commissions that are also required to show racial, ethnic, economic, and gender diversity. Um, it doesn't really say that they're going to make every state go back and, and redistrict, but I, I think it's referring to any future redistricting, which it's always been a political ploy for any state, both Democrat and Republican. Whoever's in charge, when they redistrict the state lines, um, they always do it in such a manner that helps the party in power as best they can. Item 23 creates a national commission to protect United States democratic institutions. A national commission would study elections and produce a report after 18 months with recommendations for improving elections. It would compromise, would compromise, well, it would be compromised. It would comprise of 10 members, only four of whom would be selected by the minority party giving control to the majority party, which at this time is Democrats. So if this thing were implemented uh, sometime this year, then the Democrats would be in control over that commission. Item 24 mandates new disclosure for corporations. This bill codifies the Democrats Disclose, Disclose Act. All right, uh, to redistrict corporate participation in elections. Oh, <laughs> redistrict. I'm stuck on redistricting. To restrict corporate participation in elections. Democrats say this provision will shed light on dark money, while Republicans counter that the legislation's transparency requirements would violate free speech rights. I mean, I don't understand all of this on the Democrats. They're pushing this these issues about uh, you know, corporate money being given to uh, campaigns. I mean, we 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 know they got a lot of corporate money. We know some uh, some bad characters that were. Well, anyway, that's another show. Uh, item twenty five: oversight of online political advertising. A provision called the Stand By Every Ad Act would stop campaign dollars from covering any form of advertising over the internet. Opponents to that provision uh, say that this would increase the cost of campaigning because a lot of people went to campaigning on the internet uh, in the last election cycle just because there's so much of it out there. And I'm, I would think that some of the, some of these, uh, you know, uh, Twitter and Google and, and Facebook and all those who took advantage of those advertising dollars might be a little bit upset by that provision. Item 26 weakens the Supreme Court's 2010 decision in the case Citizens United versus the federal elections. The bill states that the Supreme Court's misinterpretation, so Congress is saying the Supreme Court misinterpreted something. Uh, but they misinterpreted the Constitution to empower moneyed interest at the expense of the American people in elections 
has seriously eroded over 100 years of congressional actions to promote fairness and protect elections from the toxic influence of money. Really? <laughs> really? And this is the party that was was a bragging about how much money that Joe Biden raised uh, during the last election cycle. I know they were all $1 contributions from all the uh, people that supported Joe Biden that were excited about his campaign. It also suggests that the Constitution should be amended so that Congress and the states may regulate and set limits on the raising and spending of money. When they say Congress and the states, what they really mean is Congress. Item 27 allows politicians to use campaign funds for personal use. Well, there's a surprising, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would be in favor of that. Well, of course we know some of them did anyway, right? Under a provision called the help America run act. Well, they got a lot of neat names, don't they? The bill legalizes the use of campaign donations for personal expenses, such as childcare. Well, there you go. That, that, <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I could argue that maybe that might not be something that would be helpful in some cases but you got to think uh, most of these people that are running uh, especially the Pelosi's and the Schumer's and, and uh, the ones that have, have been in in uh, politics for so many years and, and they have lots of money anyway uh, I don't think childcare course probably not for Pelosi anyway or Schumer or any of those um, because of their age but and I can see where it might affect somebody uh, young or you know that has kids that's running for the first time or something uh, but there's a lot of things that could go wrong with that money and of course we know the government's not very good about paperwork and, and keeping up with things that they make too easy for people to abuse but that's something they feel like uh, um, that, sh that should be the right of the people who um, run campaigns and collect all that money. Item 28 changes the composition of the FEC, which is the Federal Elections Commission. The bill decreases the number of members on the FEC from six to five. Um, part of that is because a lot of times there would be a 50-50 split. Four members can be associated with a particular political party making the fifth member independent. Yeah, really. But nominated by a president associated with a party. That'll really make them independent. I'm sure Joe Biden would pick uh, a libertarian to, to be on that board. Uh, former FEC members have written to Congress warning about this change and other related provisions of this bill. Item 29 changes rules around conflicts of interest for the president and the vice president. It would require the president or vice president to divest all financial interests that could pose a conflict of interest for them, their families, or anyone with whom they are negotiating or who is seeking employment in their administration. Uh, you know, there's a lot to that. So, you know, some of that makes sense. Um, so I'm not really going to go down that road with that one. Item 30 changes FEC rules to require presidential candidate to provide their tax returns. I'm sure that was put in there solely because of Donald Trump's uh, refusal to share his for the, his four years in office. Uh, 
I'm sure that was extremely frustrating for them, even though they tried numerous times. This provision says within 15 days of becoming a covered candidate, the individual would be required to submit copies of his or her tax returns going back 10 years to the FEC. FEC. Keep wanting to make that longer than it is. So, you know, I I don't know that I disagree with that either. Um, so many of the the people running for office as president, vice president, have done so willingly over the years. I, I was kind of upset about that and Trump's issue, and I, I you know I, it's hard to defend that. I don't know his particular situation, and again, I'm not a a, a legal expert on that, but. Um, I can see why they would want to have this information uh, as long as they make sure that it's fairly collected from everybody involved, that it's applied across the board evenly. Uh, it seemed like that would have affected Joe Biden, though. I don't know. Um, all right. So, of, of course, the above that I've just done, those 30 is just just a portion of the items in that 791 page HR1 bill. Um, so there are probably many more issues that might be concerning for revenant or uh, conservatives, but um, I, I think these about voting are some of the most dire for us because if some of these things are actually implemented, it's going to change voting forever in this country. And I don't know that there'll ever be a way to get it back to center where it should be. Uh, you can, sometimes you, you you can say, well, I, you can see where some people would be concerned about some issues. And, and, you know, if it weren't something being pushed by Democrats and liberals, you know, you might say, well, it's in the best interest of the country. But we have to be suspicious of just about everything they do in that it's a an, an attempt to maintain power and then fundamentally change the country. I mean, they're not just, they're just not working on this. They're working on free speech. They're working on gun control. They're working on everything in the world that is going to fundamentally change the United States to where it's not even recognizable if they're successful. Uh, this bill does contain a, a couple of things that both Democrats and Republicans can agree on. There's a, a provision in the bill that assures all voting machines used in the U.S. elections are also manufactured in the United States. I can't believe that the Democrats put that in there, but it is in there. And so, hey, give them a round of applause for that. And there's also another provision in there that uh, increases access for voters with disabilities. Um, I don't know if that's part of that curbside uh, voting that they have in there or not, but you know, um, you, you have to support that as well. And every, every time I've gone to vote in person, the facility that I go to, or the, um, the place where I go to vote in person, um, it's highly accessible for handicapped individuals and there's adequate parking for handicapped individuals right there at the door. So, uh, you know, but there may be places, there may, especially older sections of some cities that may be difficult for handicapped people to get into. But anyway, so that's that's 30 of the items. But 
I would strongly recommend, I hope that some of these things, you know, made a light go off in your head and say, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. Or I, I, I can't believe they're trying to do that. But if any of those things are true with you, I would, again, recommend that you try to contact your representatives from your state and um, and tell them that you're unhappy about this, especially, again, senators, because they're the only ones standing between us and this crap becoming law. So um, hopefully that you'll do that. But anyway, I appreciate you uh, spending time with me again. I know this was another long episode, and, and I promise once we get past uh, some of this voting stuff and some of this garbage that's going on right now, I'm going to try to slim these back to what my original intent was about 30 minutes. But um, anyway, I'm going to nix that for a minute. But I also want to mention that um, uh, invite you to spend uh, some time with us tonight. Uh, this is Tuesday night, so we'll have our Tuesday night live episode of Trice Talk with myself, Dennis Lee, and Eric Kirk. And uh, we encourage you to uh, to um, listen to us tonight. And, and actually, if you've listened to this mini pod and there's anything on here that I've said or I've told you about or any of these particular items that I talked about tonight that you want to discuss tomorrow night, I'd welcome that opportunity to talk with you about them. And also, if you disagree with anything, always with what you hear on many pods or Trice Talk itself, I encourage you to call in. I would be more than happy to talk with you. So um, with that being said, I'm going to um, cue this little uh, exit music here, and hopefully I will see uh, you tonight at 11 o'clock p.m. Stay safe, everybody. And have a great Tuesday.